The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the September 6th meeting of the Ann Arbor City Council. If you're able, please rise and join us for a moment of silence, followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. United States of America, and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Would our clerk please call the roll of council? Councilmember Hainer? Here. Councilmember Dish? Here. Councilmember Griswold? Here. Councilmember Song? Here. Councilmember Grant? Here. Councilmember Ravina? Here. Mayor Taylor? Here. Councilmember Iyer? Here. Councilmember Nelson? Here. Councilmember Briggs? Here. Councilmember Ramlawi? Present. We have a quorum. We have a motion, please, to approve the agenda. Moved by Councilmember Dish, seconded by Councilmember Griswold. Discussion Ooh. of the agenda. All in favor? Opposed? The agenda is approved. Do we have communications today from our city administrator? No, Mayor. Today we have one introduction, uh, a communication from the chair of our Independent Community Police Oversight Commission, her monthly update, Dr. Lisa Jackson. Dr. Jackson, you have the con. Dr. Jackson is joining us on Zoom. Thank you. 
Thank you and good evening. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Lisa Jackson and I'm the chair of Ann Arbor's Independent Community Police Oversight Commission. I wanna preface my, my remarks this evening with two questions, questions that I hope you'll keep in the back of your mind, not just now, but also as you engage with these topics moving forward. What are you willing to pay for change? What have you paid already? Since our commission's formation in 2019, Ann Arbor has made some progress in making our police force more transparent and a bit more accountable. Though we still have a long way to go, what we've accomplished so far is significant. We finally have an oversight body capable of accessing both the names of officers and the names of complainants when investigating complaints. And we've added more information managers to accelerate these independent reviews. We are now open, having open conversations about police conduct with city officials and across the community and about the ways in which police conduct can be improved to reflect the values that our community holds. You guys have just passed funding for unarmed emergency response so that people have an alternative to the police when they need help. And these are accomplishments we should be proud of not just for what they are, but also because they represent a fundamental shift in the way that both our community and our local government thinks about what real public safety looks like. These efforts have been backed by an unprecedented amount of local investment into improving policing, including $290,000 going to ICPOC over the years and $3.5 million budgeted to a future unarmed response program. What are you willing to pay for change? What have you paid already? Christian Parker, Robert Hubbard, Mark Sales, Michael McPhail, Luis Angel Garcia, Jalen Walker, Raheem Durham, Arlem J. Bates, Brett J. Chapman, Christopher D. Kelly, Saudi Arai Lee, Keith Carroll, Jason Dodds, Raymond Calderon, Antonio Beekman, Quincy Pritchett, Peter Fister, Terry Harrell, Shane Earl Holland, Adnan Husinovich, Kevin Green, Amos Lane, Oscar Santiago, Frank Beatty, Roy Sink, Name Withheld, Gonzalo Asituno Jr., Derek Dwayne Clark, William Ivan Sidios, Christian Robert Jensen, Matthew Bravosky, Joseph Maverick Nagel, Richard Hollis, Christopher Hensley, Jeremy Bannock, name withheld, Taylor Ray Stevenson, John Grease, Michael Christopher Crater, Matthew Tyler Michael, Viet Doan Nguyen, Timothy Adams, Brandon Keith Nen, Normiez Reeves, Carlos Eli Castillo, Jerome Levon Connolly, Caesar Anthony Pena, Daniel Raymond Honeycutt, name withheld, Robert Tyler Green, Dakota Coleman, Jason James Morales, Paz Striblin, Ernesto Battle, Cesar Harold James, Jacob Poitra, Joseph Robert Henry Thompson, Zachary Rutherford, Walter Joyce, Corey Brewer, Richie Holcomb, Kevin Collindress, Tyler Mackay Sincere Bogues, 
Andre Hernandez Jr., Michael Allen Lohman, Edward Saman, Marvin Kua, Mike Smith, Gonzalo Lopez, Demond Eskridge, Kevin Dwight Nascio, Anthony Keith Taylor, name withheld, Derek Glenn Avey, Marshall Curtis Jones, Philip Torres. What goes missing in these conversations about the price of change, the price of progress, is the cost in human life. Those were the names of people killed by police in just the month of June 2022. However, it would take me 327 minutes or just under five and a half hours to say the names of the more than 8,479 people lost to police violence since Ora Rother's death, death on November 9th. 2014. That's the real cost we've paid for progress in this country and Ann Arbor is no stranger to it. We owe the existence of our police commission, not just to the task force that preceded it, but to the life that Ora Rosser had taken from her. We owe the conversations we're now able to have about policing to the lives of people like George Floyd and Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor. We owe ICPOC's ability to see com police complaints at the same time as the police now to the two women whose home was mistakenly broken into by AAPD officers in November of 2020. The magnitude of this cost should be obvious, but the last thing I want is for that enormity to distract us from the responsibility we have to address it. We should absolutely weep when faced with tragedy. But in the moments in between the gunshots, we need to be doing more to prevent the next one from occurring. And then the next one, and then the one after that. What are you willing to pay for change? What have you paid already? The next time you ask yourselves those questions, I hope you do it with a sense of urgency. Because despite what progress we've made, too many people have already been asked to pay far too much to get to where we are. And we still have so, so far to go. Thank you. Thank you. We now come to public comment reserve time. Public comment reserve time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak at public comment reserve time, one needs to have signed up in advance by contacting our city clerk. Speakers both here and online will have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Our clerk will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining when you are online and when your time is up. Uh, the timer up here will notify you of same, and in each case, if you would please, when your time has expired, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Our first speaker today is John Mursky. Good evening. My name is John Mursky. I live at 505 Burson Place. I chair the Ann Arbor Energy Commission and I also serve on the Environmental Commission. I urge you to vote for the resolution to approve service agreement with Five Lakes Energy to complete a feasibility study regarding the creation of a traditional municipal electric utility and an evaluation of other pathways to achieve the city's 20 or A20 goals along with the in initiation of next steps to advance a local SEU 
including appropriating the necessary funds to cover the full cost of the service agreement. This study is necessary to ascertain how to best implement strategy one of the A20 plan, powering our electrical grid with 100% renewable energy. Doing so efficiently and effectively, technically, financially, and administratively is perhaps the most important element of the plan. We need a better option than relying on DTE. There are several possible alternative pathways, including community choice aggregation, which is included in the A20 plan, municipalization through condemnation of DTE's assets, and or the implementation of the proposed SEU. There may be others. To inform staff, the Energy Commission, and the public, and to guide your decision making, it is necessary to independently evaluate the following for each pathway and relative to each other. The total resources required, including city staff time and out-of-pocket expenses. The time to implement relative to the city's net zero target date of 2030. The likelihood of success. The opportunity costs. In other words, what could be done with the same resources, time, money, political advocacy, and focus to advance decarbonization in Ann Arbor and beyond in other ways, and the degree to which ETH pathway is transferable and scalable to other municipalities in accordance with the criteria and principles for achieving renewable energy goals which you approved. It is responsible to determine this before endorsing or committing to any specific path forward. No entity has done this. The Energy Commission has not. The city and staff have not. Ann Arbor Per Public Power has not. Another third party also has not. The proposed contract with Five Lakes Energy, working together with NewGen Strategies and Solutions, will provide this information and a basis for public discussion, debate, and decision making. Please approve tonight's resolution. Thank you for considering my input and for your public service. Thank you. Our next speaker is Dr. Lauren Sargent. Good evening. My name is Lauren Sargent. I live on Ember Way and I'm a 38 year resident of Ann Arbor. I'm also a co-founder of Washtenaw 350. The climate crisis requires us to electrify everything and power it with renewables and efficiency. No new infrastructure for fossil fuels, but how? Tonight, I urge you to vote yes on the resolution before you, the agreement with Five Lakes Energy to conduct a feasibility study into a traditional municipal utility, etc. But I'm going to address the first. Washtenaw 350 examined actions at all levels and concluded that the most robust and achievable means to reach our community goals of 100% renewable electricity by 2030 is to establish a municipal utility. We learned that our state representative Yusuf Rabi and state senator Jeff Irwin also fully support this approach. And we then found out about the coalition Ann Arbor for Public Power and joined it. We were a little late to the party, but it's a good party. A2P2 has been advocating for a feasibility study for a municipal utility for about two years, and tonight we are on the starting line. 
I urge Council to support this big step forward with some additional requests. Please do not forget to consider the many benefits as well as the costs of a, munici of a municipal utility. It is no coincidence that the six municipalities in this country that are meeting their climate goals that are very much like ours are all uh, those who have a municipal utility. It is also no coincidence that cities with municipal utilities have more reliable and less costly electricity. Compare our recent power outage with Lansing. The Board of Water and Light has not had a major power outage since 2012 as they made over 100 improvements to infrastructure in response to demands from the community they are responsible to. In contrast, DTE fails regularly, but they are accountable to shareholders and not to us. Winter Park, Florida, which municipalized their electrical utility this decade, is on track to underground all of their lines to improve reliability in the face of the more frequent and intense storms that we are experiencing due to cl the climate crisis. Compare that to the gross underinvestment in infrastructure and the tree mutilation that our monopoly, invest, monopoly investor-owned utility presents to us. I also urge us to think about costs not only in terms of creating the municipal utility, but in terms of the costs of failing to do so. Think of the money that the businesses in Ann Arbor just lost. One near me said it was $15,000. Multiply that. Think of the workers who could not work. I commend to you the podcast put out today by the Institute for Thank Local Self-Reliance, Public Power Part 1, Why Take Over. I hope you will Thank listen you. to it and share it. Thank you. Our next speaker is Sam Coppy. Uh, good evening. Uh, thank you for all being here. Um, I'm very excited that DS1's on the agenda. Um, I think this is an opportunity for us as a city to think about whether we want to have provide electricity municipally like we provide our water. Um, I'm not sure how you like the water service here, but I think it's great. Um, when I compare my experiences dealing with the city water department and, and dealing with DTE, um, I have a much better experience with the water department. So I look forward to having that same experience with a city-owned utility. Um, personally, I am in favor of the feasibility study so we can learn whether this makes sense for our city. Um, I guess the other note, I'm very skeptical of companies, and I think we've learned to be in Washtenaw County. Um, in our most recent experience, um, well, two recent experiences, I was thinking of one earlier. Um, we, we, we in this county were treated horribly by General Motors. Um, companies cannot be trusted, and we should not trust them. And not, no action should be made trusting that a company will do anything that's not in the interests of its management or shareholders. Um, and um, I don't know if it's too soon, but I mean, Pfizer was here for a while and now they're not. And so I just want to ask you all to keep an open mind and give the proposal fair consideration. Thank you very much. Have a good evening. Thank you. Our next speaker is Zachariah Farah. Can you hear me all right? You bet. Great, thanks. Um, good evening. My name is Zachariah Farah. I live in Ward 2, and I'm here as a representative of Ann Arbor for Public Power. 
I'd like to express my support for DS1, the resolution to approve a feasibility, feasibility study on establishing a public power utility and an SEU. I'd firstly like to express my gratitude to you all for moving forward on this very important issue. Now, I remember the very first time I ever contacted a city council member about any issue. It was back in 2020. I called all of you to ask you to pass the A to zero plan. Um, I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> I was and still am extremely concerned about the impacts of climate change on our society. And I believe that by passing this feasibility study, you will be reaffirming your support for the A to zero plan. Voting yes to pass this study will accomplish two very important goals. Firstly, you will be showing the young people of our city that we can no longer go forward with the status quo. Alternatives to DTE are needed to provide reliable, affordable, clean power. Secondly, we will all receive the vital information about what a full public power utility and an SEU will be able to achieve for our city. I sincerely hope our city will move forward with both so we can bring democratic decision-making authority back to the people of Ann Arbor and address the climate crisis in a robust and aggressive way. After all, at this point in time, the cost of maintaining the status quo is simply unacceptable. Now this past year, I had the opportunity to work for a student with disabilities here at U of M as a personal care assistant. They had to live in the dorms because uh, you know, although they were more expensive than local apartments, uh, the dorms are powered by the university, not DTE. And as a result, they don't have power outages. In the event of an outage, the student would not be able to use their electric wheelchair to leave their, their house, their electric bed to just get out of bed in the morning, or any of the electrical or medical devices which are potentially life-saving in emergency situations. The situation is not uncommon and exists for many residents who have disabilities, who do at-home dialysis, and who rely on the various electric appliances that help keep people safe and healthy. To all of those people, by voting yes, you will be saying, we care about you and we are working to help. I look forward to the continued work between Ann Arbor for Public Power and every member of this council, and I expect that you will ensure multiple opportunities for public engagement throughout the feasibility study process. Thank you very much for your time, and power to the people. Thank you. Our next speaker is Jonathan Horde. Hello. I'm Jonathan Horde, a resident of Ward 5, and I'm running for city council as an independent candidate. Hello, nice to meet you all. I'm here, to, I'm here to bring awareness to a big problem we are all facing today. This problem we all have and carry with us every day. What I'm referring to is this. Yes, the dollar. What's the problem with the dollar? In a nutshell, it's dying. What am I talking about? Well, I'm sure many of you have been to the grocery store lately. Rising prices is another way to describe the loss of purchasing power. This erosion is the result of an inflated money supply generated out of thin air and backed by extreme levels of debt. The dollar losing its purchasing power has profound implications for everyone, every business, and every government out there. The cost of everything is rising. Just look at the debt market. Rates are rising. Interest rates are a predictor of future inflation expectations and a sign of eroding faith in the ability of the debtor to pay back debt. When rates go up, the cost of borrowing goes higher. The cost of produce goes higher. And prices rise even more. 
We should not go on assuming the dollar will continue to be the world reserve currency. Just, look, just a quick look at geopolitical events unfolding will tell you this. The debt bubble is starting to deflate, the economy is weak, and the markets are overpriced. As the erosion of purchasing power continues, the middle class and poor will find it harder to make ends meet. And if they don't generate enough income, they will resort to unconventional, unconventional means to feed their families. Wage inflation is not and will likely not keep up with price inflation. Homelessness, which leads to rising crime, could keep rising unless we prepare and design initiatives that help these people. I feel going forward there are many things the city could do to prepare for a sustained economic downturn. The main thing is just to get this on the radar now. We can't stop a tsunami, but we can move to higher ground. We should prioritize securing critical resources like clean water, energy, safety, and shelter. We need to be invested in wealth-preserving assets. We need to find ways to reduce taxes, spending, and debt. We need to teach our children how to grow food, build things, and be independent and self-sustaining. We need to block the transfer of our wealth to global institutions. Let's focus on our local economy and grow our wealth from, and grow from within and maintain division of labor. Let's focus on community, let's prepare the safety net and be there for them when Thank they you. need us most because we need them to be there for when we, when we need it most. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Kathleen Murphy. Kathleen Murphy. Caller with the phone number ending in 245. Oh, my apologies. You can press star six to unmute your phone. Ms. Murphy, go ahead. Okay. Hello, uh, Mayor Taylor, city council members, and attendees to this meeting. I'm Kathleen Murphy. I live at 315 Linda Vista Street, Ann Arbor, 48103. I'd like to speak in favor of the feasibility study that is up for a vote today. Thanks to the many thanks to the city staffers in the Office of Sustainability and Innovation for sending out the RFP request for proposal and selecting the com company to do the job. Five Lakes Energy and NuGen are two very reputable companies. They'll do a great job. The feasibility study will be particularly powerful for it separates the task into three. One will analyze various potential pathways for the city to reach its goal of 100% renewable energy. The next will conduct a phase one study into establishing a municipal utility which would service all of Ann Arbor while providing 100% renewable electricity. The last will be a rate analysis of the proposed sustainable energy utility or SEU. This comprehensive feasibility study should give the city a clear vision of what its best options are for producing the city's electricity. I urge you to, provide, to approve the funding so the work can start as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Guy Teske. Pardon me, Gus Teske.
Caller with the phone number ending in 147. Press star six to unmute your phone. Hello, hi. Hi, good go evening. Ahead. Go ahead. Good evening, my name is Gus Teschke. I live at 313 Montgomery. Um, I represent Ann Arbor Indivisible. We're a local chapter of the National Indivisible Group that formed after 2016, after the election of Donald Trump. Our goal is to slow, block, and defeat him and his threat to our future. He was defeated in 2020, and now we're trying to help him lose again in 2024. Over a year ago, Ann Arbor Indivisible passed a resolution in support of a fair feasibility study for a public electric utility, and we're glad to see that the city is making progress. We hope uh, that City Council will fully fund this proposal from the Office of Sustainability. Uh, Ann Arbor Indivisible is concerned because of the climate emergency, obviously, and its threat to our future, as are many, many Ann Arbor residents. There is an alarming lack of significant action at the state and federal levels, but Ann Arbor can do its part locally by no longer burning coal and gas to generate electricity. It could inspire other cities to do the same. A public electric utility is the only way we could do this by 2030, the A20 deadline. Um, there are over 40 public electric utilities in Michigan right now, and most have lower rates, fewer outages, and better service. For example, Traverse City, Lansing, Holland, and Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea. In Chelsea, they pay 40% less than we do, and they did not have a power failure in last week's storm like we did, because we get service from DPE. Uh, Chelsea owns their wires and takes good care of them. We hope the feasibility study will show that Ann Arbor can join them by building a public electric utility. Our state representative, Yusuf Rabi, supports a public electric utility, as does our state senator, Jeff Irwin. DTE plans to burn coal to 2040, if you can believe it. This is totally unacceptable. It, it, seeks to cut, it also seeks to cut the reimbursement rate for rooftop solar from $0.08 cents to $0.04. Cents. It seeks to raise its rates yet again on the power that we must buy. It wants to charge rooftop solar owners a monthly fee of 65 to 100 to connect to the grid. These changes will make rooftop solar unattractive when we need to quickly transition to renewables. We are alarmed by DTE's behavior. Uh, so we invite all Ann Arbor residents who want to slow and stop the climate emergency and have a better future to volunteer with Ann Arbor for public power to help transition our electrical generation to 100% renewable, zero carbon by 2030, the A20 goal. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our next speaker is Robert Benko. Caller with the phone number ending in 147. Mr. Benko, press star six to unmute your phone. Go ahead. Hi. Hi, this is Robert Jeff and Benko of 213 West Madison Street. Um, again, I approach you um, on the recently passed amendment to remove restrictions on the marijuana license types and numbers of licenses per lot. I'm at odds to trying to rectify uh, council members' vicious comments during the first and second readings of the amendment and the planning commission's description of the amendment. In a nutshell, council member Dish stated that there are a number of changes, that the changes are only for industrial or light industrial why the Planning Commission states the changes are for all zoning districts. Um, just one example from the August 15th meeting, uh, quote from Councilmember Dish. So that is one thing. 
If you're not on a lot zoned industrial, you don't get more than one license. Versus, uh, you know, from the Planning Commission description that was provided for the public hearing on the matter, deleting paragraph D will allow any number of marijuana facilities on a single lot, whereas currently a maximum of one to five are permitted depending on the zoning district in which the lot is located. So, you know, this point can be discussed a great deal more, but to fed into three minutes, my point is that I believe a case can be made that while there were limits on the number of licenses in specific zoning districts near residents before the amendment, those limits have been removed, which does not match the amendment discussion in council. If local residents are being impacted additionally, where was the feedback for them or from them in this process? Additionally, I'm further surprised that there wasn't further discussion on this by other council members that were familiar with the amendment, either during the meeting or maybe in between the first and second readings to council member Dish. I just have to ask, was this proposed amendment fully explained and discussed in council? Thank you. Thank you. Are there communications today from council? Councilmember Nelson. Thank you. I just want to alert residents of Board 4 to a public engagement meeting that is happening Tuesday, September 13th from 6 to 7 p.m. Um, there's some work being done planned or planned for 2023 on the streets uh, South 7th and Greenview, just south of Sio Church. Um, for those who know the area, this is surrounding that little spring-fed lake over there. Um, there's information on my website about it. You can search the city website for it. Um, it's the project is called South 7th Street and Greenview Drive Project. Um, there's going to be discussion of various strategies to make it safer, including removing on-street parking, um, improving crosswalks, and putting in some bump outs. I think some residents might have some input to share on that topic. Thanks. Councilmember Ramalawi. Uh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to call attention to some, some issues that the Fifth Ward is experiencing uh, with, with calls of service uh, to 911 um, and other uh, public safety concerns uh, they're experiencing um, in and around West Park, uh, 415 Washington, and, and other areas. Um, and I uh, was in a meeting this last week with um, <coughs> Police Chief uh, Metzgers and, and, and Councilmember Briggs to discuss this issue. And um, I feel that as, as this council goes forward and as the unarmed uh, emergency response plan is developed and deployed, um, many of these uh, concerns be taken into account. Um, I also feel, and I'm not sure if there is action being taken on this, um, that something be done with West Park, uh, uh, quite frankly, putting up a chain link fence, and, and the way it looks right now is rather, um, um, uh, it looks, it, it just looks terrible. I think it invites um, activity that is probably uh, undesirable. And quite frankly, it's it's sad that that landmark sits in the shape that it's in. And so, um, along with other properties that the city owns, uh, I feel it's uh, important that we take a, 
a better look at these, this particular area and as we look at all our areas. Um, but right now, um, situation is, is, uh, is getting a little seedy. Thank you. Councilmember Griswold. Thank you. Uh, I want to announce that tomorrow I will be leaving for New York City. I uh, was in New York City right before the pandemic attending a Vision Zero conference and I will be returning tomorrow not only to visit my new grandson but also to talk to some officials and look at some of their Vision Zero infrastructure. New York City is one of the leaders. Speaking of Vision Zero, I want to read some stats. And most people know that if you're making an investment, you want the largest return on your investment, whether it's dollars or investing in safety improvements. From the Federal Highway Administration, high visibility crosswalks can reduce pedestrian injury crashes by up to 40%. Intersection lighting can reduce pedestrian crashes up to 42%. Advanced yield and stop markings and signs can reduce pedestrian crashes up to 25%. Those are big numbers and we should not ignore them. Um, and so I will be bringing forward a resolution asking staff to identify and provide budget numbers for how much it would cost to light all of our crosswalks in our school walk zones which is simply determined by 1.5 miles from the school. Uh, lastly, I want to thank staff for all of their effort on Chapter 40, which is the visibility ordinance. Uh, I know it's been a long time. Progress is being made, and I expect it to come forward soon. So thank you. Councilmember Dish. I want to just thank all of the residents who are participating in the Citizens Leadership Council and who hosted a really, really productive event on Thursday night um, around the uh, 123, 121, sorry, East Catherine development. It was a great evening of reminding us what had been in that neighborhood. And uh, it was a, there was an excellent visioning exercise of what could be in the 121 East Catherine development. So that was great. There will be a few more, I believe, of those um, public engagement sessions. And uh, they're very different from our usual style. So I recommend that everyone take advantage of one. Councilmember Hainer. Uh, thank you. Just a couple remarks for folks in Ward 1. If you don't know already, the Bandemir Bridge, the pedestrian and car bridge that connects um, uh, Barton-Whitmore Lake intersection with Bandemir Park is closed until late fall. Uh, they're in the second phase of it. started September 6th, and uh, it's it's closed up. And so if you, if you use that to get around, a lot of people do the loop and so on and use it to get to work in North Main and so on. And you got to kind of go the other way around past the Cascades, I guess is the best way to put it. Um, and so late fall, so that, that bridge is in need of repair and they're also doing the work on the you know, 14 bridge. And so there's a lot going on in that area. So just use caution. Um, secondly, there's um, Thursday at 5.30 p.m. is a work session uh, um, at the, the Northside Food Forest, the permaculture forest up there in Leslie Park behind Arrowwood. And every Sunday they're doing a uh, walkthrough where you can learn about different types of plants and things that are growing there. And it's, it's really excellent. They've had great turnout for it. And these work sessions also get a lot of turnout. And everyone's welcome. It's Thursday, 530. 
and um, you know tools are provided you can bring gloves and, and water whatever you, you feel you can need yourself but um, just getting it ready for the fall we're going into the fourth year of that it'll be the fourth year next year I guess and it, it has really kind of taken off and it's found a, a kind of a welcome home up there in the north side community so I appreciate everybody who's who's um, you know uh, pitched in for that so uh, just a couple couple award one comments thank you Councilmember Song This Saturday is the second annual Asian and African American Solidarity Picnic, and it, this year it will be planned in Pittsfield Township. Um, it's Saturday from 1 to 5. That coincides with the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, so I'm really excited to um, see friends and leaders get together and um, celebrate the holiday and celebrate each other and celebrate the work that we have ahead of us. Um, something. I also want to point out that uh, we are nearing the end of our second six-month extension to funding our new human services partnership with the county. Um, I am worried. Um, I, I, I encourage everyone to contact our county representatives, our county commissioners on this, and trying to see how we can best serve our most vulnerable populations. I'd rather not see cuts in our warming centers um, or hours in our warming centers as, as the winter approaches. Um, if you're familiar with how nonprofits fund, nonprofit funding cycles work, uh, this, is, this is the beginning of uh, you know, an active fundraising season. Um, so I encourage folks in the community to reach out to uh, these essential partners who help us with our housing first policy, which is really commendable for uh, to our housing commission and being able to house folks uh, over a year uh, and keeping them housed at I think it was over almost 90% rate which is higher than the national average. Um, if for that work to continue we need to take a closer look, look at um, sustainable funding. The city has already done considerable work in dedicating ARPA funding to this um, and I'd like to challenge our community members to really look into investing and making sure that we've got um, food security, um, making sure we have staff for our, our providers, and continue this good faith partnership. So I appreciate it if, uh, if, you're, if the folks here at this body council can member. also reach out to commissioners. Further communication from council, Councilmember Grand. Thank you. Um, I'd like to first thank the Ann Arbor Public Schools for addressing some critical transportation concerns around busing um, that have that have been present for the last year, and it was nice to see some of those resolved. So thank you. Um, also, want to just um, call out some of the things that are happening um, around our A20 plan this fall. Um, one next week is the uh, plant-based challenge, so you can take advantage of. Um, some of the wonderful local food that we have in our community. So check that out. Um, I also just want to give a personal thanks to the um, Ann Arbor Fire Department for the work that they did in my neighborhood. Um, after the storm, we had some um, we had a fairly tragic situation and they handled it with um, a lot of grace and sensitivity and want to personally thank um, Battalion Chief Matt Hughes for um, helping out my neighbors. Um, he was in my backyard and, and did a fabulous job. So um, thank you to Battalion Chief Hughes. And, um, and that's it. Thanks. Further communication from Council? 
I'd like to recommend the following nominations for your consideration to the Design Review Board, Wendy Rampson, to the Energy Commission, Gabriel Harp, and to the Energy Commission, Claire McKenna. We now have before us the consent agenda. May I have a motion, please, to approve the consent agenda moved by Councilmember Dish, second by Councilmember Griswold. Discussion of the consent agenda. Councilmember Nelson. I'd like to pull CA 11. Further discussion? Councilmember Hayner. Thanks. I mean, just a couple comments. CA 8, I, I encourage everyone to support this. It's a apply for grant to help the old fourth ward historic district do a survey of all the buildings that are there and it's a very densely pop populated area um, and it is as it's as it says in the title it's a historic district and um, we often overlook the value that historic districts have in communities and when you look at that and you see the mix of folks who live in there that, that area and the various housing types new and old and so on and 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 commerce and everything that happens it's a very vibrant area of the city and so i'm hoping that that um we when we finally get around to doing our comprehensive land use plan we we look at the value that historic districts add to that so i'm clearly going to support that and then um, the other thing I just want to make a quick comment on CA 13 we have a, the bylaws of the renters commission before us and most of this is sort of wrote things where we just um, make sure that all the bylaws are the same and they're they're actually approved because it's a new newer commission and I you know I've, I've had some comments to some of the folks here about um, the right to renew that um, you know it calls for a couple of uh, folks who actually own properties landlords such as uh, the word is abused um, to be seated on there and we haven't seated them yet and i hope that we do and i hope that we get some folks who are uh, neutrally uh, 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 uh you know politically neutral and concerned about the well-being of their both their properties and the tenants who inhabit them so um it's just another thing another thing another commission here that uh, gives people an opportunity for input councilmember amali um i guess just real briefly on ca2 um I'd be supporting it, but I just want to bring attention to past experiences we've had with um, the marathon and uh, folks unaware of this and, and locked into their homes, blocked into their homes, can't leave. Um, some folks have, have had medical emergencies um, or just caught off guard by this. So I, I just hope that um, in, in whatever means and in, in fashion, that the information is disseminated to the residents that are affected in these roads that are going to be closed uh, for the marathon on October 2nd. And uh, I hope everyone uh, has a, a fun, fun, safe marathon and the weather is decent. Further discussion on the consent agenda? Councilmember Briggs. I just wanted to draw attention real quickly to CA7, which is a resolution to approve a grant application to USDOT Safe Streets for all discretionary grant programs. Um, basically, this is for a Vision Zero um, implementation grant. Um, uh, kudos to staff for um, putting this together. Um, it should be going out soon. We've talked about this in policy committee, and um, there's definitely a desire to um, sort of leverage uh, as much support as we can for this um, from our political allies. It's a 22 million potential, $22 million grant um, for Vision Zero work in our community. So improving our bicycle and pedestrian environment, um, uh, 
making our streets more accessible for, for all users. And it's worth noting that um, this grant application, there's an opportunity to apply for either an implementation grant or a planning grant. And we are in the strong position of being able to apply for a implementation grant because of all the strong planning work that we have done to date. Further discussion on the consent agenda? All in favor of the consent agenda with the exception of CA 11, please say aye. Opposed? The consent agenda with the exception of CA 11 is approved. With 11 council members present, all voting the affirmative, thus satisfying the eight vote requirement with respect to CA 8 and CA 10. CA 11, resolution to accept an easement, accept, resolution to accept an access easement, appropriate $47,710 from the general fund and approve reimbursement of road maintenance costs to the Devarn on the Park Association. Moved by Councilmember Nelson, second by Councilmember Rodina. Discussion, please, of CA 11, Councilmember Nelson. Thank you. I, I just wanted to ask for a postponement of this because there was a little bit of a snafu um, around this. Um, agenda item it wasn't actual like any of the materials uh, for like attached to it didn't get public were not public facing until about an hour before our meeting it was it was just a mistake um and i i asked i i guess i'm asking for feedback if this is pressing or if there's going to be any harm done in um postponing it to the next meeting we are okay with postponing it from the city attorney's office and i'm not quite sure why the glitch happened but it was a glitch and i apologize yeah, I, I just I just feel strongly about the things on our agenda should be available to the public and for us to review before our meeting. So um, I'm, I'd like to postpone it to our next meeting, which I think is September 19th. Is that right? Second by Councilmember Lowey. Discussion. Councilmember Hainer on the uh, postponement. Yeah, I, I would just comment that since we're going to be postponing it, I would ask staff to look into the. Um, potential coordination of this road maintenance project because tomorrow night on planning commission they're discussing the ann arbor village project the richardson brothers project which is complete totally adjacent and accessed by this road and it's effectively going to take us uh, 55 some acres of current forested and various open space and turn it into a giant housing development if it's approved and we kind of have a history in this city of fixing a road and then they put a giant building right next to it and destroy the road and so I would just ask if staff could take a look at the coordination of the planning if this project moves forward, if this is something that should be held off until after they destroy the road further. It just seems like I hate to fix things twice, that's all. Further discussion of the postponement. All in favor? Opposed? It is postponed. Uh, we have before, we have no public hearings today. And so may we have before us uh, the regular session meeting minutes of August 15, 2022. May I have a motion please to approve these minutes. Moved by Councilmember Dish, second by Councilmember Hainer. Discussion of the minutes. All in favor? Opposed? The minutes are approved. C1, an ordinance to add section 8531 to chapter 105, housing code of title 8 of the code of the city of Ann Arbor. Moved by Councilmember Nelson, second by Councilmember Adina. Discussion please of C1, Councilmember Nelson. Um, this I also am <laughs> moving to postpone. Um, I, I was actually asked to take this off the agenda, but I, I wanted it to appear on the agenda so there is a paper trail of how this is moving forward. Um, when things get taken off the agenda, they disappear from Legistar forever. Um, the history, part of the history of this is that we, um, we got feedback from the city attorney's office on August 26th 
and there was a there was a small group meeting um, a committee within the right the renters commission and this is going to read the recommended changes are not in this item yet but they're going to be discussed at the renters commission this week and there's also going to be a presentation at the Housing and Human Services Advisory Board, um, just to make sure we're all on the same page. And so I would like to postpone this item to September 19th. Seconded by Councilmember Rodina. Further discussion of the postponement? Councilmember Rodina. Thanks, I, I uh, support this postponement. I just wanna take this opportunity to thank uh, the Renters Commission members who are putting in a ton of work to make sure that this is uh, right when we do get the chance to pass it. Um, uh, I am incredibly supportive of the work that's happening, but I know that we also wanna make sure that we pass an ordinance that's strong, that's had a lot of stakeholder engagement and, and ultimately has language that we feel comfortable uh, enforcing here in the city. And so um, I know that uh, the chair of the Renters Commission has been putting in a lot of personal work doing this, but there's also a subgroup of, of the Renters Commission that has been working with uh, with Councilmember Nelson and I to, to make sure that we get to the final language and um, and I know that they have been engaging stakeholders from Housing and Human Services, as was mentioned, uh, to uh, landlords from the Washington Area Apartment Association, um, really just making sure that that input has been gathered and that this is the strongest ordinance that it can be. So um, thanks to everybody who's putting in the work, uh, including our city attorney staff who has been working diligently with us to make some of those changes and and continue to provide us with legal advice. Thank you. Councilmember Adina. Pardon me, Councilmember Amlawi. Uh, thank you. Um, I, I guess it's a bit of a relief that this is being postponed. Appreciate um, the, the spirit why it was placed on the agenda for discussion. Um, not up to speed on, on where the Renters Commission is currently. I know they've met um, more often than, than they're statutorily required to meet, uh, to meet the workload of, of a new commission. Um, I'm concerned of the, um, the lack of, of stakeholder participation with, with others in the community regarding housing when it's come to issues um, as such, uh, property owners and other um, small, smaller investor um, uh, landlords have expressed um, a, a lot of concern of not being included in many of these uh, ordinance changes uh, that, that are, are being passed. Um, and so that, Again, I hope that uh, their, their concerns are, are gonna be um, heard and uh, folks um, can, can all be under the tent so we can get to the best possible solution. Um, I don't think it's, it's as, as wise or as beneficial um, to exclude them, even though um, I, the concerns of others of the um, different power levels and structures between the, the tenants and landlords are, are very vast. Um, uh, but there's, there's many of those relationships up and down um, institutions and, um, and, and entities that govern our society. So, but yet, I think in, in order to get the best possible outcome, we, we, we need to take into those considerations and have those conversations um, and, and quite frankly, I don't think enough of those have been had to date. Thank you. 
Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you to all who've been working on this. I know there's been a lot of, a lot of meetings, a lot of discussion um, to get to the draft that we're at right now and, and also uh, moving forward on the, the draft amendments that are, um, have been already discussed in the subgroup. Um, if there's, uh, I don't believe this is currently part, I think it's part of the Renters Commission um, work plan moving forward, but if there's any opportunity to add into this, um, any language around wait lists, um, I think that that would be um, really pertinent, especially non-refundable deposit wait lists. Um, I know that there's broad support across the community um, from both landlords and renters on this issue. Um, and it seems to be incredibly problematic. I think the waitlist issue in general, maybe, um, maybe it's a it's a bigger topic that needs to be um, more time to work through than we can get to before the 19th. But um, if I would be very supportive of an amendment that that includes that within this. Councilmember Hainer. Yeah, thanks. Uh, um, I mean, I was looking forward to discussing this tonight, but I'll support a postponement. Um, it, it 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 is quite a bit to take a look at the legal preparation that our staff has given us and the precedent for this and the concerns around uh, ordinance like this. Um, uh, you know, outside of state and federal constitution, uh, challenges that we may face and uh, commerce and contract law and so on. Um, I just want us to focus on the goals, you know, between now and then, let's think about the goals of what this is for. Why are we talking about a right to renew? Uh, you know, is it to provide stability to, to tenants? Is it uh, you know, we got to watch out where it's not trying to do some kind of backdoor rent control, which of course, you know, we're not allowed to do here in the state, but in other states that have had right to renew, they, they are allowed, like New York State. And, uh, you know, Ithaca is a famous example of a six, somewhat successful right to renew. So I just, between now, I guess, uh, I mean, I'll support this delay just between now and then, but I, I hope to get to discuss it while I'm still here on council, because I think it's an important topic. Um, I'm, I'm not sure we're approaching it the right way, but, um, there has been a, in, in a community like ours, it has such a, a, more than a majority of folks who actually rent instead of own. Uh, you know, that's, that's, it's something we have to discuss. So I, I look forward to that conversation on the 19th. Further discussion, the postponement. All in favor? Opposed? Postponement is approved. DC1 resolution expressing support for Michigan Senate Bill 58 and House Bill 5314, holding polluters accountable. Moved by Councilmember Griswold, second by Councilmember Dish. Discussion, please, of DC1. Councilmember Griswold. Yes, I've enjoyed working on this project, and I think one of the lessons to be learned is frequently our problems need to be solved at the regional or state level. Ann Arbor cannot do it themselves. And in this case, we have spent hundreds of thousands of dollars dealing with Gelman's 1,4-dioxane plume and all of the pollution. And if a polluter pay law was still in place, this would not be necessary. Um, and so I encourage everyone to support this. And if anyone would like to co-sponsor it, um, that would be great. I apologize. I had COVID, and so I sort of dropped the ball on getting co-sponsors. But I think that the resolution speaks for itself. Uh, Dexter has already passed a similar resolution. The Washtenaw County Commission is scheduled to pass one tomorrow night. Uh, you know, we are up against big money 
the Manufacturing Association. We have got to organize, we have got to be smart, and we have got to demand, and hopefully we will have a state Senate and a state House that can get this, these bills passed next uh, session. Councilmember Hainer. Well, thanks, Mr. Mayor. And I would actually ask to be a co-sponsor of this and thank uh, Councilwoman Griswold for bringing this forward. Uh, polluter pay is sort of the drum I've been banging on for a while with this Gelman matter. We had it and then it got taken away. Um, and this House and Senate bill are uh, important, not just for our community, but for all the communities who are suffering under industrial waste and the burdens that come with maintaining a water system. Uh, we spend about eight, nine hundred thousand dollars a year just filtering out PFAS from Tribar and the Wixom polluters. I, I try and get some face, every time I get FaceTime with AG Nessel, I, I beg her to shut down these polluters. And she seems unable or unwilling to do that. So polluter pay is a way around that for us, hopefully. And as you uh, accurately pointed out, these are problems that are greater than just our community, and uh, we kind of have to uh, team up. It is a state matter, and you know we finally got some movement on Galvin by reaching out to the, the other concerned parties, the townships and the county, coming together and getting the state involved, and then ultimately the federal government, of course. And and um, you know we shouldn't have to go that route to compel polluters to pay for for pollution, especially when you look at the, the water woes that the world is having. And we are so blessed to sit here on the Huron River in a in a Great Lakes state, and uh, really the world's greatest natural resource. And and we got to do everything we can to protect it. And this is a, a good step. And I I hope that our, our our folks in Lansing can can get this passed. It's 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 long overdue. So thank you, Councilmember Briggs. Yeah, I'd like to thank Councilmember Griswold for bringing this forward. Um, this is uh, definitely incredibly important that we're supporting this at the local level um, and urging the, uh, the state to pass this, um, these bills. Um, I certainly would ask to be added as a co-sponsor. Tribar was the, the most recent example of, of how alarming this is that we don't have this legislation, but there are, there are so, many other, so many other cases. Councilmember Dish. I'd like to add to the chorus of thanks for Councilmember Griswold. And uh, I'd like to second what Councilmember Hainer said about how lucky we are to be, we are surrounded by Great Lakes in this state and we need to protect them and we need to protect the river. So thank you. And oh, please add me as a co-sponsor. Councilmember Iyer. Thank you, I'd also like to be added as a co-sponsor and I just wanted to note that um, you know, if these bills were to pass, it would be fitting um, to have uh, Ann Arbor legislators once again champion polluter pay uh, legislation. It was, of course, our uh, former state senator, Lana Pollock, who uh, initially was the architect of a polluter pay law uh, that was the strongest in the nation, I believe, for five short years from 1990 to 1995 until Governor Engler uh, dismantled it. And um, while it's unfortunate that, you know, we can um, scream and shout from this table uh, as, as much as we want, uh, asking for it to be passed, it won't be done until Democrats 
take over both houses of our legislature. Uh, but that should not uh, deter us from adding our voices uh, to the mix anyway. So thank you. Councilman Rodina. Thanks, I, I will keep it brief because I think most of what I was hoping to say has already been said, but I would like to also be added as a co-sponsor um, and would strongly encourage this to pass at the state level. Thank you. Councilmember Mlowey. Uh, thank you, <laughs> and thank you, uh, Councilmember Griswold for bringing this forward, and, and obviously the state reps that are fighting hard every day to make this relevant and have us have this discussion here. Um, this is, uh, you know, this is, uh, some would say, a, a no-brainer, uh, but unfortunately the powerful industrial lobbyists that we have in Michigan have been able there to, to write these laws and write these rules that benefit the polluters for many decades. And uh, the, the old system of using brownfield tax credits to clean up these sites, which, which we use uh, rather frequently, is, is, is a great tool, of course, but it really just um, transfers the responsibility and the cost from the polluters to the taxpayer and from other institutions that benefit from tax monies that uh, sometimes don't get paid and go towards the cleanup. So there, there's a m many faceted issues with this. I think we're, we're taking away uh, monies from, from communities because we're, we're taking advantage of the, tech, the brownfield tax credits. Um, and, and we have issues like we saw with Gelman where it's David versus Goliath. Um, you got these uh, polluters that have deep pockets. You have pollution that transcends jurisdictions and townships and cities and so on and so forth. Makes it complicated for any individual one municipality to take on the polluter as we saw and felt. And uh, we need action at the state level that's stronger. Uh, in fact, it's not strong enough. That's why we had to go to the EPA. Um, I just hope that the the, the, that once the Democrats do own uh, both uh, and, and, all and all all levels of, of our government, they actually act on this and they don't succumb to the, to the pressure of the lobbyists with big money. They will somehow water this down and, and the Dems will, will have a, a strong enough backbone to make sure that this doesn't get watered down and the polluters do end up um, pain for, for the damage they cause. Thank you. Councilmember Heener. Yeah, thanks for the second opportunity to comment kind of tangentially on this. I, I just wanted to say something. Um, it's been kind of on my mind all week, actually, and it just came up twice here in this conversation that I think there's kind of a fundamental flaw in the way we approach democracy here in this country and even here in this city that w w when it comes to something as basic as clean water, providing clean water, I, don't, I think that the, the red folks who live up by Wordsmith Air Force Base where they're sucking PFAS or whatever in the swamps up there are just as concerned about clean water as the blue people here in Ann Arbor or whatever you want to say it. So when I hear my colleagues say that we can't wait till the Democrats take over a state house, that kind of divisive language is just, it's, I'm on the outs with that kind of language. I'm tired of divisiveness in our politics at all levels. And so I appreciate that we have seen there has been a tendency, perhaps, for uh, Democrats to be more concerned about environmental matters and so on, and Republicans not, whatever. But I think a, 
better and perhaps more workable approach would be to ask our state representatives to reach out to their colleagues and convince them of the need for the people in their red communities or whatever to get on board with this, that this is something that can help everybody. So instead of saying, I can't wait till you're out of there, we should say, work with me on this so that we can solve this problem that affects everyone. And so I just, I had to say that something about the divisive language that we hear a lot of, and we even heard it at the federal level this week, there was a lot of divisiveness from our president. And it, it's not helping us. It's not helping us as a community and as a nation. And thank you for entertaining that, my comments. Councilor Griswold. Um, yes, I want to thank some of the staff members who have been working on this or related items. Um, John Fournier, as soon as we started talking about the need for a resolution, he immediately uh, mobilized our lobbyists to start working on it. So work has already been done before we're passing this resolution, so that's great. Also, I want to thank Brian Steglitz because a related item that's required because we don't have the polluter pay uh, law in place is what happened in Wixom. And there is something called a National Pollutant Discharge Elimination System Permit Application for Renewal. And because Tribar uh, discharges through the Wixom sewer system, um, a special permit is required. And anyway, he wrote a, a very uh, forceful, effective response for the public comment. And I won't go into all the details, but anyway, I, I want to appreciate that. And lastly, I just want to say that most of us have heard about Tribar and that a staff member overrode the warning, the alarm, 460 times. And right now we have a warning alarm that's going off. And I heard it today when I was at the card meeting and Eagle was saying, well, there's nothing we can do because it's not in the court order. We have found out that the dioxane is beyond the prohibition zone because Sio Township paid to have monitoring wells. And Eagle, they have their hands tied and so I, I think we need to explore court action because things have changed and the court order was based on a certain set of information and now there's this warning because we have the dioxane outside the prohibition zone and I think we need to explore going back to court and, and pushing further um, for whatever is needed based on our experts. Thank you. For the Councilor Grant. Thank you. Um, I'd like to be added as a co-sponsor and um, think that this is a terrific way for this body to honor the birth of Councilman Griswold's grandson. We can look to the future and um, how important it is to have safe drinking water. So, um, you know, I, I, I think they're going to be, I'm, I'm looking forward to November. I think we're going to see um, some great things happen in our state and uh, just think it's a great way to to honor this milestone. Further discussion? Councilmember Ramlawi. Um, I would like to also be added as a co-sponsor, please. Further discussion? Councilmember Song. I think I'm the remaining one. Uh, <laughs> um, 
if I could be added, it'd be great. I just also wanted to note um, that uh, the Inflation Reduction Act also includes money for environmental justice. So um, if there's any way that in our policy committee we can look towards grant opportunities uh, to support this ongoing work. Um, I think it's six billion for environmental justice, no, 60 billion to accelerate environmental justice work. So uh, I'm encouraged by our federal government and its leadership too. All right, thank you. Further discussion? All in favor? Opposed? It is approved. DS1, resolution to approve a professional services agreement with Five Lakes Energy LLC to complete a feasibility study regarding creation of traditional municipal electric utility and an evaluation of other energy pathways to achieve the city's clean energy goals along with initiation of next steps to advance a local municipal sustainable energy utility uh, in the amount of $458,797. Moved by Councilmember Adina, second by Councilmember Briggs. Discussion, please, of DS1. I understand Mr. we have Mayor. a staff presentation. Uh, Mr. Mayor, before we get into the substance of the item, we'd like to have a presentation uh, from Dr. Missy Stoltz. We felt that this item, given its complexity, was appropriate to walk through exactly what we're talking about, and Dr. Stoltz is prepared to do that. Dr. Stoltz, you have the con. Dr. Stoltz is joining us on Zoom. Sorry about that. Hi, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Yes, we can. Outstanding. Great. Let me just prep these slides for you all. All the chains. Well, as I get everything started here, let me begin by first saying thank you so much for making time for the conversation today where we can explore the uh, what's before us with DC1. And I will get this up momentarily. Let me try one thing. Sorry, y'all. Are you seeing the notes? Or are you seeing the whole? We have the whole. Including this and including the notes? Including notes. That's not what you should see. Sorry about that. I worked this morning and then technology. Well, I might do it without notes. <laughs> Forgive me, I'm going to show the screen with the notes. I'm just going to minimize the notes. We'll make this work. Apologies for that. Uh, this is in your packet, too, so you can see the details before you. So just confirming you can see those slides at this point with the bar. Yes. Okay. see that looks good. If, if you hit view and say slideshow, that should work. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jackie. I was hoping to see the notes. Um, Sorry, go to slideshow. Um, on the menu. How long have we been there doing you go. this? Right it's there. tragic. 
Let's see, this is the thing, it's showing you this view. Fun times, we'll do it this way. Well, first and foremost, let me say thank you for making some time and space for us to have the conversation today about DS1, which is 100% renewable energy options analysis. In our brief time together, I wanna to provide a little bit more detail about what is included in this, uh, in this resolution in the contract and what is not included in it, including what would be next steps should one of the pathways presented move forward. And this uh, is relevant because the contract is quite complex and the options before us are also quite complex. So uh, as a bit of background, uh, you as a body asked us earlier this year to put together a request for proposals focusing on the first three points, which are outlined here on this slide. Uh, the first being an energy options analysis. If you will, uh, the way I think about this is what are all of the pathways available to us as a city to achieve our goal of powering the community with 100% renewable energy? And that's exploring all of those options, the ones we've already analyzed, and maybe others that we didn't uh, because we didn't know they were available, because they're newly available, uh, or because they're viable in a way they weren't previously. You also asked us to do a deep dive into two of those options, and that was a traditional electric utility or a buyout of the investor-owned utilities infrastructure and their franchise or their right to serve within the community. This is known as municipalization. Uh, the phase one study, and I'll talk more about what that is here momentarily. And a second option you asked us to analyze was the rate analysis for the proposed sustainable energy utility, as well as a series of other subtasks, uh, things like the governance and the staffing structure for that utility. So what we did as staff is we put together an RFP, which we released in April of this year, uh, with these three main tasks and then two administrative tasks. Of course, we, we need someone to produce the final report and to prepare presentations on the facts from this analysis. And then we need to have regular check-ins with city staff to make sure that we're on the same page. We're moving the project forward transparently and openly. Uh, and so that's what we did do. And I wanna pause for a second and note that the point of this RFP was to get the facts, the information that we need uh, about the options available to us, the legal, the technical, the regulatory and the cost options uh, or impacts of different uh, pathways uh, afforded to us. So this is a fact-finding information gathering exercise which will then set the table, if you will, almost like a buffet of the options that we have before us so our community can have an informed discussion with actual factual information in, from, in front of them to make a decision on what's the best path forward for us as a community. So this is a really exciting kind of stage setting RFP, uh, at least for us here at the city. So in terms of process, what ended up happening is we did our analysis. Uh, we put the RFP out, we had six firms that bid the three top firms, uh, we went through our traditional scoring process. The three top firms, we opened their pricing proposal. And of those, two firms really stood out, Five Lakes Energy and New Gen Strategies and Solutions. And after reviewing the proposals and evaluating the strengths and the, the weaknesses of the various bids, we uh, as staff recommended a merger of these two con uh, consultants with Five Lakes Energy being the lead. And so on this slide, you can see the breakdown of where work and who will be conducting the work. So Five Lakes Energy will be the prime, or at least that's the recommendation we're bringing forward to you today. They'll be responsible for all the coordination. The energy options analysis will be conducted by Five Lakes Energy. Uh, that's a, they're a Michigan-based company. They regularly participate in regulatory cases. 
they're an intervener, uh, as is the city of Ann Arbor, for example, in DTE's current rate case. They're really well respected and really knowledgeable about kind of the energy landscape here in Michigan, and they're very, very good at rate analysis. So we also selected them to do the SEU rate analysis. One of their uh, their leads helped us actually do some of the analysis for the SEU, so it's intimately familiar uh, with kind of the concept itself, which makes it much more uh, viable in terms of doing the rate analysis. And then, of course, Five Lakes will play a leading role in the final document presentations uh, and preparations. And then uh, new gen strategies and solutions is really, really well known and respected in the municipalization work. And so they will lead the phase one feasibility study of a buyout of our incumbent utilities infrastructure and, of course, participate in the final doc uh, material preparation as well as the regular check-ins with city staff. So that's what's before you today in the contract. I want to share a little bit about the products that we expect to see. And I'm sorry because these were animated uh, to walk through, so this wasn't crazy overwhelming. But in the three main buckets, again, taking tasks four and five, which were the administrative tasks kind of out, the three uh, main tasks are on the screen, and you can see the sub-deliverables we'll get from that. For the energy options analysis, uh, one of the things we're really excited about is we'll be getting an Ann Arbor-specific energy model. And this model is really powerful because it takes into consideration all of the energy demand, all of the energy supply, uh, changing profiles within our community, and it's a living model that we are going to get, which will help us understand the best viable pathway today based on our needs, but also we can change the variables over time as our situation changes. So, for example, we are starting to see pretty high electric vehicle adoption rates in Ann Arbor. Well, we can model what that might look like in the future and see if that in any way, shape, or form impacts how we plan for our 100% renewable energy pathway. We're also going to receive a technical, legal, regulatory, and life cycle assessment analysis for every option that's being analyzed. That's really important because we want to be able to look at every pathway and understand kind of the pros, the cons, the opportunity costs, uh, and the opportunity gains associated with the options that we have before us. Everything will also be analyzed through the energy criteria and principles that council adopted because that was the kind of policy directive that you gave to us and we want to understand how the different options align with those criteria and principles. Now the options analysis is the overarching framework as I mentioned and then the two uh, options that we're diving more deeply into are the phase one study for a traditional municipalization process and here there are a series of pretty standard technical assessments and financial assessments, as well as a financial model that we need to be able to understand uh, a beginning kind of error bar, if you will, for what the possible costs are, what the value of the assets are, uh, what additional work we might have to do to increase reliability. Some really important foundational information for us to be able to have a really informed discussion about whether this is a good pathway for the city of Ann Arbor. So the way we think about this is this is sort of the, the beginning results, if you will, with an error bar of truth somewhere in here, but this is what it looks like. Uh, and so we're gonna get that information to help us understand if this is a pathway that's worth continue, continuing forward with. And then we're also asking for a SWOT analysis so we can understand, understand the strengths of this approach, the weaknesses, the opportunities, and the potential threats uh, that we need to be aware of should we go down this path. For the SEU, we are getting very similar things. So we're getting an operational and governance model. We're getting the revenue requirements, the financial assessment, and the cost of service rate design. So these things are all really comparable. And what I hope is the main takeaway from all of this is that the 
primary product that I am most excited about is having a comparative analysis of the different options available to us to achieve our H2 zero goal, which is powering our community with 100% renewable energy. And this is gonna allow us to have an apples to apples comparison of those different pathways. So once again, as a community, we can have an informed discussion and get to an informed and shared decision about which path is best for us. So put another way, I know I just threw a lot at you. I wanted to summarize some of the main deliverables. That energy model, it's known as a step 8760 model. Uh, that's the living model we're gonna get and be able to tailor as our context shifts over time. So very powerful uh, for the community, for OSI, as we're electrifying. If our electrification rates are faster than projected, we can use that integrated into the model and be able to switch, edit, adjust uh, our energy demands, our procurement processes, or whatever may be necessary to make sure we continue uh, our fidelity to that 100% renewable energy. We're of course gonna get a final technical report that documents all of the findings, but we've also asked for a summary for policymakers, kind of a shorter, more succinct takeaway version of the results that then sit in front of the, the full technical report. We've asked for three public meetings, one meeting broadly to share the results, one with the Energy Commission and one with City Council. Once again, to clarify, this is a fact-finding process. So public engagement for us is really important once we get the facts and we can start talking really openly with the public about which pathways make the most sense, what people are really excited about, what they see as potential drawbacks. And then we get all the native project files and materials so we can keep this analysis live and up to date. Now, this is gonna be, um, where I'm gonna head in a minute, is gonna be a little overwhelming without the animation, so I do sincerely apologize. Um, I, can, I can try it with notes if that's better for folk, uh, and I may do that. Uh, so what I wanna do, just to kind of, before I officially end, is I wanna do a refresher both on the SEU and the traditional municipalization or buyout process, because these are really, really big and important concepts. And while you as council may be well, uh, versed and informed in this, I want to make sure that the public knows what we're talking about should they be doing here tonight. A traditional municipalization process is about buying the incumbent utilities assets and their franchise, which is also known as their right to serve, their right to provide electricity in the community. And so that involves basically owning the infrastructure that you see out your window, the distribution lines, the poles, the transformers, the substations. It's about owning that distribution network. To get to that point, we have to achieve agreement on the cost or the value of that infrastructure. In the absence of achieving consensus with the investor-owned utility, we go to litigation. And in courts, the, the value of that asset is determined, right? And that's, in, that's important, and that is likely to be the case in that situation. We also need to acknowledge that buying that infrastructure does not improve reliability. If we want to improve reliability, we have to improve that infrastructure. So part of what we're asking for in this analysis is both the cost to buy, but then the cost to improve reliability to the standards we are asking for and demanding as a community. If we become the sole provider by buying out our investor-owned utility, we have to provide 24-7 power for three years in advance. That is not optional. We have to make sure because we are the only provider of power. People can't go back to DTE. We own the franchise to serve, therefore we must serve. And at this point, everything I've talked about has not changed the generation. We own the distribution network. We have to integrate a process to generate new renewable energy or procure energy on the market. Otherwise, we would not have met our A20 goal. We would own an energy utility, 
but we haven't fundamentally shifted the electrons and made them green yet. So that has to be factored into the analysis, which is what we are asking for. So on this slide, and I'm gonna do the same for the SCU in a minute, and again, apologies for this being overwhelming. Uh, this is a snapshot of the process. So bear with me here. Um, this is, I'm gonna note that I did color coding and timeline estimates and budget estimates, and they are but that, simple estimates. Many of the things on this slide could be faster. Many of them may take much longer. Many things may be cheaper. Some things could be sequenced together. Some things may be far more expensive than estimated. But this is based on a look at what our peer communities have done and invested in municipalization, acknowledging that the last municipal utility formed in Michigan was in 1902. So we don't have a lot of local precedent to go off of. We've had to look in other places, and other places have different situations. They have a franchise that they can negotiate around. We do not. So these, again, are but estimates just to help inform the discussion. So the contract before you will do that first green bucket here. We'll get the phase one initial assessment. The estimated timeline is about nine months. Uh, we'll have the results of that assessment. Now, every time you see a connector, I consider these on-ramps to keep going because we like what we saw, or off-ramps to terminate investigation of that process. If we like what we see and we wanna go deeper, we move into a phase two municipalization study. This is a much more detailed analysis uh, where we're looking at all of the infrastructure to understand its quality, where we need to make upgrades. And so we're basically taking that bigger error bar and we're shrinking it. So we're getting a, a kind of much tighter sense of how good that infrastructure is or is not, and what the possible cost of that infrastructure to buy out is or should be. If that goes well and we proceed on, we go to public vote. And here the public is agreeing to buy that infrastructure and take on the debt to purchase it. We then start negotiating, and we, this is an example where we could start earlier in that process. We have to negotiate with the utility on the true cost of that infrastructure. In the absence of reaching agreement, this is where litigation starts, and we go to the courts to determine the cost. Of course, we have to finance that infrastructure. Once we agree on it, we've got to go get the, the money uh, to be able, whether that's most likely that's through bonding, but that's going to take time and process. Of course, we've got to staff. Uh, the utility, we've got to onboard folks, we've got to retain the franchise, and we've got to start providing the service. And then this is an ongoing box. Uh, we have to provide the service, right? Once we create the utility, we've got to keep doing that. Uh, we still have to obtain 100% renewable energy, which could be negotiated sooner in the process, but may not have been. And then ongoing, we just have to build new infrastructure, right? As things go down, as storms roll through, we have to upgrade. Just want to acknowledge, now that's our infrastructure that we need to maintain. Some of these latter costs, like providing the service and the building of new infrastructure, can be recovered through the rates that we set in the utility. Other costs cannot. And so there are costs associated with moving this forward that I wanna be transparent are not recoverable costs, and some that are. This is true as well uh, in the SEO in a second. So let me now pivot as I close to a refresher on the sustainable energy utility. So what's different here is this is a supplemental utility to our existing investor-owned utility. It almost exclusively focuses on generation. So I talked a lot about distribution before, the poles, the wires, the infrastructure. Because this is focusing on the generation, solar, geothermal, energy storage systems, we don't have to own the distribution network. We can set up the system uh, to be able to do behind the meter things so we're not really using that distribution network. It is still community owned and is a municipal utility, but it is supplemental. And that means 
that it is not the sole provider. That means that people will still draw energy from the investor-owned utility. It also means we have to grow over time. So it is not like a Band-Aid being ripped off where the SEU provides power instantly to communities. We have to scale up the generation that we have and the provision of power. The other way to look at that is it means we can grow into new services over time. So we talk about the potential for microgridding as one of the things. When we get a density of neighbors that are using solar, we can actually start setting up minimal distribution, lines connecting those different households that we would then own. But because we would be setting up those lines, we don't have to buy them out from the investor-owned utility. So we don't have to get into the same uh, kind of process of understanding the value of their assets because we're never buying their assets. So it's a different process. Now, it's also a multi-stepped process. So what we're going to get back should the council move forward is the first phase rate analysis. And that's for the behind the meter solar and storage uh, that we're proposing for phase one of SEU. We are also getting the staffing and governance model, but I did put this as a separate box in case we do not like the recommendations that come back and we want to do some other work on staffing and governance. But this could be a sense where these two things are done in parallel and collapse. If this, again, similarly, arrows or on-ramps or off-ramps, if the community decides absolutely not, this is not a good path, we exit and we move on to what's next. If the decision is made to keep moving forward, then we have to have council pass an ordinance creating the SEU. We then have to secure funding or finance so we can purchase the solar and energy storage systems and the other infrastructure that we need. We have to staff. We've got to buy the supplies through contracting those actual solar systems. We've got to go to market and procure them. Uh, and there, of course, are supply chain issues that we've got to contend with. We then have to provide the service at another ongoing expense. And assuming that we do want a microgrid, we've got to do the technical assessments and price out the needs around microgridding, acknowledging that this means probably not sending any electricity back through the grid, but keeping it into maximum generation and usage on site. And that is an interesting technical question, but it does require additional help. And then lastly, we have to do new service provision as our ratepayers ask for more things and more services. So these are similar. And once again, these would be recoverable costs in the rate should the SEU move forward and get to these final steps. So let me just close out. Uh, thank you for your attention and share one more time that before you tonight is a contract to do the uh, options analysis, which includes the phase one assessment for the SEU and the phase one assessment for a buyout uh, of our incumbent utilities assets. Those are but two options we are asking our consultant to review. We are also asking them to look at things like virtual power purchase agreements, renewable energy credits, uh, power purchase agreements, different on-site generation, and other mechanisms that are viable for us here today. So we will get the results from those two technical studies, but we will also get many more possible options for our community to discuss. As I mentioned, early costs should we move forward with municipalization or SEU are not recoverable, but the latter costs could be. And finally, I am really excited tonight for us to be talking about this resolution because I think that this is really important for us to be able to have the facts that we need as a community to inform our next steps for meeting our A20 goal of 100% renewable energy powering the community. So with that, I will stop and thank you. Thank you. Further, are there, is there, it's good. Oh, uh, 
I mean, I'll use my time. If yeah, I yeah, in the ordinary course. Yeah. Oh, okay. Pardon me. Well, thanks. Councilmember Hayner, thank you. Um, I mean, uh, you know, if this is my time, that's fine. Um, yes, my apologies. So, uh, so we're going we're gonna to get a sense of what the total cost of ownership of this existing utility is before we decide if we're going to bond for that and flip the switch, I understand. What, what did you mean when you said that we have to provide power three years in advance? I didn't understand. I, I don't know if I wrote that down properly. And no. then um, I assume that, I mean, the, the basis of this is our community's total energy use projected forward, right? Like that's, that's how right. we decide if we can hang with making our enough power locally? Good questions. So for the first one, municipal utilities have to prove that they can provide 24-7 power for three years. So we have to have enough contract or actual on-site generation to meet that. That's just sort of a requirement of municipal utilities. So that might continue to be grid power that for that first three years, contracted grid power, you might say. Or Correct. Where, it can absolutely be contracted grid power. Oh, yep. okay. Yep, absolutely. And then your, forgive me, your second question was... Well, I, I, I mean, I assume that we're going to have an essence of the total energy use, uh, you know, um, projected into that it will grow as a community as we electrify. That's right. Um, is, is there any concern or consideration that, um, like, so, you know, like Planning Commission has a thing tomorrow, a very large project in my ward. And th there was some, it got delayed because there was some talk about electrifying this project. But if we continue to move forward without electrifying new projects and new construction and new units, are, uh, are we going to take into account potential growth in the city that is non-electric? Or are we making the assumption that by a certain date, everything is going to be electrified? Because if they're building something now, it's not electric. It's not going to be electrified by 2030. We sh yeah. I don't think personally we should allow it, but... So Short I just wonder how that calculates in. Is that the kind of, I assume for 500,000, that's the kind of depth of understanding we're going to have. Well, we've actually, as staff, already done some of that analysis, okay. looking at electrification of facilities. So we already know, like we have a model that looks out with, if every new development uh, is electric, here's the increased demand. If people transition their vehicles over from internal combustion engine, et cetera. So we'll be sharing that model with the consultant for them to validate and update. But it's a scenario, right? It's but one possible future. So we need them to help us look across those different scenarios so we can make sure we're informed. So, so we're, getting a, we're getting various scenarios as part of this uh, the analysis the step, before us. That step okay. analysis tool, yep. Okay, thank you. Councilmember Griswold. Yeah, I'm getting questions from some of my constituents, and, and one pretty basic question is, if we're still studying alternatives, is a sustainability millage premature? I mean... Oh, that's for the voters to determine. Uh, we have, what I would say is we've, we've I mean, process-wise. Yeah. We have many activities and programs that are already in operation. And right now, what we have in the proposed community climate action millage, I would point people to the website where we have the two-year budget that talks about what we'd be investing in around renewable energy. And it's things like incentives to help people uh, install solar or do energy efficiency on their homes. Things like enhancing what the Inflation Reduction Act just offered in terms of uh, direct rebates that folks have. 
buying equipment and then uh, selling that equipment at a discount for folks. So all of that's still in play and ideally would stack well with our energy future. So, you know, six to nine months isn't a long time for us to get a result back. And it is feasible. The result is not, it's not either of the options that we're doing a technical analysis on. Oh, okay, thanks. And then from your slides, the municipalization study was phase one, but the SEU rate analysis was a complete study. So are we really going to be able to compare the two if we've only done phase one of the municipalization? Yeah, so phase, well, phase two is very expensive right, in comparison yeah. to where we are today. So we want to start with phase one to understand if that's still something we want to move forward with, at least that staff's recommendation. So that, that would be a stranded cost. For example, if we went and did phase one and two at the same time, uh, we're, we're talking millions now is right. some of the costs that we got. So we don't want to, we don't want to ask council to do that unless we have preliminary numbers that show, yes, this is a really good strategy for our community. Let's, let's move on to that next step. Oh, okay, but after phase one, you'll be able to compare the two options. You'll have enough information. Yeah, because the SEU phase okay. one is behind the meter solar and storage. Phase two for the SEU is the microgrid. So, okay. Um, and um, my last issue, and, and maybe you can address it, is that my top priority with all of this is to reduce uh, dirty energy that is negatively impacting growing brains in poor neighborhoods. I mean, we know that even schools are built in the most polluted areas because the land is cheaper, not only air pollution, but ground pollution. So um, I hope that with anything we do, we don't just think about Ann Arbor, but again, we think regionally because those children need our help now. Yeah, thank you for just sharing that that was one of the energy criterion principles that council adopted. And so we're going to ask each of these options being presented to run through those criteria of which one is transferability, another is equity and justice. Okay, and so we'll great. be able to look at those. Okay, thanks. Councilor Hainer. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Mayor. Appreciate this second opportunity here. Um, one of your one of the um, processes was this vote, this public vote. And the public vote is sometime in the future, the public in Ann Arbor, you're saying it goes to the ballot. Should we bond to do this or should we do this? Or what, what is the question that would be before the voters exactly? And 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 I guess I mean, I know it's down the road, but and I guess the reason I asked that and it might sound like kind of a simple question. But um, so like right now, I don't have a choice like I, I do have a choice. I could pony up for solar and storage or whatever and grid tie and, and get rid of my relationship with DTE. Or I can use DTE. And that's kind of my two choices. And in the future, you're saying that if all goes well with this and we can generate enough energy and so on and so on, that my choice will be the city of Ann Arbor municipal utility or disconnect myself from the grid and have solar and whatever. So I'm kind of trading one for the other. So if I was a resident who didn't say have faith in the city to provide this, just as an example, um, I'm just out of luck. Like whatever that vote is, that's it. And I don't have DTE anymore to tie into. That's how that's it would one go of the down. Options. 
Okay. Yeah, that, so that's the municipalization effort, one of the options being studied. And that, that's right. If it were to pass and we were to take on the debt and agree to terms and we buy the franchise, if we take it out, we are the utility. And, and we're running our own trucks and we're investing in all that gear and the trucks that roll by my house from the substation down there on Broadway are going to be Ann Arbor trucks instead or whatever. Yeah, that's right. So we're talking about billions and billions of dollars. Can't answer that yet, but maybe when they're. I mean, they, they got more than they got more than two million plus in copper uh, just in ten blocks, you know, radius. So, I mean, this is it's a that's a big ask. I think this is going to be a big ask, and, and five hundred thousand to find option. out how big, I guess, is peanuts for this council. But um, what is it? A tenth of a percent of our total budget, or something? A hundredth of a percent? Councilmember. Okay, Mr. Mayor. Further discussion. Mr. Mayor. Oh, yes, Mr. Dahoney. Thank you. Uh, I think it would be appropriate to insert at this point that if we were to determine that we're going to establish a municipal utility, we are talking about a totally separate structure than the operation that we're running day to day right now. It's separate legally, it's separate staff, it's separate skills, it's se separate expertise. It's not acquiring it and incorporating it into the organization as we know it. So, so people need to, do, need to make that distinction. It, it doesn't reside in City Hall is what you're saying? I would presume it would not. <laughs> when I see these power shirts, and I thought there was like sort of this ground swell of Council we member? want to do it ourselves, but I'm Council concerned member? about the relationship here. Councilman Nelson. Thank you. Um, I'm, I'm interested I, in understanding. I did write you down, and I totally ignored you. Sorry. Uh, is there a breakdown in this the price tag for this feasibility study in terms of what is dedicated to an analysis of an SEU versus analysis of the public power util or the municipal power utility? Yes, and forgive me because I don't have that open. It should be in the attachment. You should see the proposal itself. Let me open it. If, if you give me a minute, I don't want to eat up your time. I'll get that for you. Well, I guess my other question, um, I, I encourage folks to read the frequently asked questions document on an SEU because I'm, I'm slightly confused about why we, why the, the, comparis the comparison is the most um, important part. Um, I mean, in the FAQ, FAQs for the SEU, it's, it's outlined that there's flexibility up and down in terms of how much the city was willing to invest in an SEU. So in a price comparison, it, like a municipal power utility is always going to come out on the losing side because there's a fixed price to it and an SEU is entirely flexible. I guess I'm, I, this is the part that's confusing to me, why it is a comparison study and why I mean, it, it seems like the deck is stacked and we already know the answer. Again, I would encourage residents to read the document, the frequently asked questions about an SEU, because it, it's basically an argument just saying that municipal power is too expensive and not a good idea. What, what, I'm sorry, what was the question? Mike, what, I... I guess we're looping back to the answer to the question of the breakdown, how much we are, how much money is being invested in, in studying the SEU. Um, it looks like, it looks like it either, I, what I read in the FAQs about the SEU, you already know quite a lot of the answers that 
I mean, so what's the breakdown? I can tell you that over half the money goes for the municipalization phase one study. So task two. Uh, the breakdown is in, it's in the contract, um, which is attached to council resolution on page 18. The energy options analysis is 129,000 rounded up. Task two, the feasibility study is uh, 145. The rate analysis for the SU is 58. The document presentation kind of round up materials is 80. And then the kind of staff time administrative is 44. So I'm writing down those numbers, 129 for the comparative and 58 for the SEU. The SEU. Rate analysis, yep. And then 148 and change for the municipalization feasibility study. And just clarifying again, the energy options analysis is the overarching umbrella. So the SEU, municipalization, other, other options are in that task one. So that's the bigger kind of home for all of this. And then we're getting these other technical studies on those two options. Thanks. Councilman Rodina, with my apologies. All right, thank you. Um, I, I think that's all right because I actually, I don't think I have any questions for Dr. Stoltz because we've had the opportunity to talk about this at length through the Energy Commission. Um, I am grateful to see this coming forward. I know that a lot of staff time has gone into this, so I wanna thank Dr. Stoltz and, and Office of Sustainability and Innovation for the work that they've put in, uh, not only to developing the RFP, but then working uh, toward this, this tonight. Um, obviously, we also have seen a lot of uh, passionate public input and public advocacy around this, and so I wanna thank the folks who are here for, for advocating, uh, but also uh, Chair Mursky, who has, who has done a ton of work in educating the community, and so if folks continue to have uh, Chair Mursky from the Energy Commission. Uh, for folks who continue to have questions as well, I, I do encourage folks to go back and, and look at the, uh, the conversations that were had at Energy Commission about this last fall. Uh, there was significant work that went into it, including conversations with other communities that have gone down this path, uh, both, both Boulder and Winter Park, Florida, um, and, and extensive uh, conversation. And so, um, you know, I, I think it's important to remind folks that this is not a decision on whether or not we move forward tonight, but rather uh, that we are moving forward with, with a study so that we all have common facts upon which we can have that conversation and debate. Um, and I think that is absolutely a, a worthy cause uh, for us to support. Uh, I think it's really important for us to have the, that common set of facts to have uh, this is a fact-finding mission, as Dr. Stoltz pointed out, uh, so that we can come back to this table and have uh, a conversation, have a conversation out in the community about whether or not this is a path uh, that we want to go down. And so I'm excited for that conversation um, and, and look forward to supporting this. Um, as an aside, I will also say, this is just my personal uh, <laughs> aside on this. Um, I do not believe that this means that, uh, that the climate millage is uh, premature. I think everyone in the community should go back and look at all the things that council said that that money would be dedicated towards. Uh, this is a separate effort. And so uh, there are a ton of incredibly worthy services and, and uh, programs that would be provided for with that, that money as well. So uh, thank you for everyone who has put work into this and I look forward to supporting this and moving to the next phase. Council member Dish. I wanna ask a clarifying question of Dr. Stoltz, please. So um, we're going to gather facts, which I think is great. And then we are going to compare numerous options, two of which we know will be a traditional municipal utility versus an SEU, 
uh, and they may not even end up being pitted against each other. We don't know. It depends what, fa what we learn from these studies. Um, but uh, then we will be making a judgment. And we will, uh, if I'm understanding it correctly, the judgment that we will be making is not simply on which of these is cheaper to do, but which of these options gets us to more of our A20 goals. Am I correct? You are. The fundamental thing we've asked for is how do we power the community with 100% renewable energy? Because mm -hmm. that is the A20 goal that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've asked our consultants to really center and then evaluate as well on the energy criterion principles. Mm -hmm. So we can look at costs, but we can also look at equity and justice. And we can also look at additionality and the other things council told us were important. Right. Okay. Thank you very much. And then I would also like to add um, that it is also my personal opinion that the climate millage is not premature. And um, I am incredibly excited about all of the things that the climate millage will do for um, our materials resource management. Um, solar is incredibly important. I have it. I've had it longer than we had solarized, but you know, I believe in all that. I will own an EV uh, sometime in the next five years, I'm sure. But uh, these are the, 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 the things that we think about when we think about the A20 plan, but there are incredibly important uh, inroads and progress that we need to make in composting, in recycling, and in reducing our consumption. And this climate millage is going to help us do that as well, plus help people swap out their gas appliances for um, electric appliances, which is a huge cost. And indoor air quality is a huge problem that we also don't think about. And so there's the inside of our house and there's our roofs. And this climate millage will help with all of that. And there is so much work to do. We can't get the money fast enough. Councilmember Briggs. Yes, I can, I can be brief because um, Councilmember Rodina and Councilmember Dish uh, have said much of what um, I was interested in saying, but as a, one of the liaisons to the Energy Commission, I did just also want to say thank you to um, OSI, Dr. Stoltz, and staff for um, all of the work that has gone into this up at this point. Um, certainly to um, our Energy Commission, um, which is led by Chair Mursky, um, and to all the folks that are in the room tonight. Um, A2 Public Power has been pushing very hard for, um, for this study, for understanding what the um, you know, what it would look like to municipalize, getting more information so we can have an educated conversation in our community. Um, so I'm excited that we're at this stage where we are, we're about to launch and, and get um, some good information and I'm excited to see that final report. Councilmember Song. Dr. Stoltz, would you, um, can you cover, or can you review for us uh, how the feasibility study will engage our, our housing partners and the Housing Commission. Um, I, I know we have some partnerships already. Um, how will they be included in, in this work? So this will only look at their energy use and understand if we were to provide, uh, if I understood your question correctly, it was around kind of the, the phase one study, the total takeover of the power provision in the community, then we have to understand what the power needs are. And so that's part of the analysis, both today's power needs and future power needs, including the importance of resilience. So we've seen a lot of our uh, affordable housing sites have really suffered with reliability concerns. Okay, thank you. 
Councilmember Omlawi. Thank you. Um, well, as we talk about electrification and all sorts, I think it's you know important that we we look into this um, seriously and, and honestly, and put forward the, the the proper resources to get the answers and the information that are being asked. Um, I'm I'm a little bit confused. Um, uh, would would phase two be tax task two? When I'm reading this, um, you know, five tasks that are being outlined. No, um, phase two isn't before you tonight at all. And could you uh, describe so if, to if me what decide. phase two is real quick, if I can ask? Yeah, phase two is uh, a really detailed analysis of that infrastructure and the financial terms. So the, the way I think about it pretty simplistically is if phase one gives us kind of this error bar, phase two brings it to this and says, we've looked at all the infrastructure. We've done an analysis of all of its quality. We've looked at all the reliability concerns, all of the previous utilities filings. And here really is what we think the like, this is what you should offer to buy. This is what you should do to structure. This is what you should do to the staff. And so it's a much more detailed dive. Well, um, what is that the reason that the one um, bid was over a million dollars? Were they looking at that? No, the, the one bill uh, over a million was a wonderful, like absolutely competent, capable team. And it did happen to be the team that led Boulder's effort. Um, it just was a, it was a really stacked team of highly qualified professionals that were pretty darn expensive per hour. Well, um, hopefully, you know, the, this conversation goes on and, and, and the, the members of the community get the answers they're looking for. I, I will just say I'm concerned um, based on government spending and government past practice that this becomes um, a lot of money being spent on, on studies and, and we have um, libraries full of studies that, that we rarely go back and use uh, for, 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 for things. Um, we, we, we do do a good job of commissioning studies and, and getting information. Um, but unfortunately that information is, is, is perishable. It, it has, it has, uh, only, um, so much time, uh, that is valuable. Um, we can look at things like the train station and how many studies went into that and, 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 and the price tag uh, went into the, well into the, you know, millions of dollars. And so um, that's just my concern with this is that um, I'd rather have a, a, a more, you know, apples to apples comparison um, rather than a, a piecemeal approach. And I, I appreciate the sensitivities to the, to, the, to the financial implications. Councilman Grant. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that Councilman Romali brought that up because I, I was actually going to, well, pretty much say the opposite um, because it, because Councilman Briggs earlier in the meeting talked about um, something that was on our consent agenda and in doing planning um, and doing it well, we now, and we haven't gotten it yet, but are eligible for a lot of money from the federal government because we are um, that much further along in the process. And when we look at you know all of the high cost items on Dr. Stoltz's um, really comprehensive graphics, we can see that you know many of these are coming with 
you know, millions and millions of dollars, um, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars potentially. Um, and so, so doing this planning, when we hear from the community about how much they wanna see us go forward, but make sure that we're going um, forward with common information and so that we can have um, community discussions is just, it's essential um, because we know that, um, I think we heard again loud and clear last week that this is something that our community really wants us to look into um, and that, that we want reliable energy that's consistent with our A20 goals that's grounded in equity. So um, thank you to Dr. Saltz and her team and to the Energy Commission and, and for so many members of the public that, um, and for your patience, because we want to get it right. Further discussion? Councilmember Member um, All those things are, are true and, and they don't need to be mutually exclusive. Um, I just believe this is um, something that is rapidly changing. Um, our energy needs as a, as a, as a nation, as a globe, um, are, are, are changing um, because of, of what we're, we're experiencing right now with, with climate change. So um, this is a, something that's gonna be evolving very quickly at, at levels of government much higher than this that will supersede anything that we do here. Um, so uh, again, uh, these are taxpayer dollars and, and we're gonna be dipping into the general fund by the tune of a, nearly a quarter million dollars for this study. And so are, are we spending the taxpayer dollars uh, judiciously and wisely enough? And with the information, are we gonna actually act on it? Or are we just checking a box with it? And so that's one of my concerns. Um, I appreciate the time, thank you. Further discussion? Council Brassong. I really appreciated um, uh, the public comment earlier about our medically vulnerable folks who really rely on consistent access to, um, to the grid, the existing grid. Uh, I have a sister with type 1 diabetes, and whenever power goes out in the area, uh, in our neighborhood, there's a collective effort to figure out how can we help folks with, uh, without power store their, their insulin. These are, I mean, they're very real scenarios in our community. I mean, that, that forced uh, last year, was it last year or year before, where DTE, DTE actually had to put out a, uh, a center in, in collaboration with Dr. Stoltz with water, air conditioning, and with the public schools. I'd like to see that happen less frequently if we can do that here. So if a feasibility study is the first step to find out a way so that we can protect folks who need reliable energy and uh, if we think about all the other things that we invest in, in the city and roads and that kind of infrastructure I think it's pretty fair to, to have electricity another 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 way to make sure folks are okay available to us so this is essential infrastructure and we've shown that we can de we've demonstrated that we can manage our water and sewage well I my hopes is that we can do this as well too further discussion uh, for my part, I'm incredibly excited about this, uh, about this uh, feasibility study moving forward. Uh, we have a goal 
uh, to achieve community-wide carbon neutrality by the year 2030. Uh, that, of course, is a goal that has uh, incredible moral uh, implications and impose, is itself, I believe, some species of moral obligation, but it is also uh, has as its goal the provision of services to residents. Uh, the, uh, and the provision of services to residents is, uh, is factually unforgiving. Uh, it requires the, uh, us to analyze uh, our me the, the legal environment, the technical environment, the uh, staff and uh, you know, person power environment, and the financial environment. And we cannot do those things. We cannot accomplish that analysis uh, without having all the facts before us. We can't accomplish our common goal of community-wide carbon neutrality by the year 2030 without a common set of facts, uh, without understanding the facts. And it is my, uh, my hope that, uh, with that, this, uh, that this feasibility study will be a giant step forward towards, uh, towards that end. Uh, we all know where we want to go, uh, and we need to know how we can best get there because time is incredibly short. Uh, and understanding, uh, understanding our various paths, their costs, their benefits, uh, their, uh, their obstacles, uh, their opportunities uh, will be something that we, uh, I think, are all incredibly excited to accomplish and uncover. And I'm looking forward to the fruits of this, uh, of this study so that we can all do so together. Further discussion? Roll call vote, please, starting with Councilmember Ramlawi. Councilmember Ramlawi? Yes. Councilmember Hayner? No. Councilmember Dish? Yes. Councilmember Griswold? Yes. Councilmember Song? Yes. Councilmember Grand? Yes. Councilmember Rodina? Yes. Mayor Taylor? Yes. Councilmember Iyer? Yes. Councilmember Nelson? Yes. Councilmember Briggs? Yes. Motion carries. Do we have a close? Do we today have a closed session? We have no request for a closed session. Thank you. We have before us the clerk's report of communications, petitions, and referrals. May I have a motion, please, to approve the clerk's report. Moved by Council Member Regina, seconded by Council Member Iyer. Discussion, please, of the clerk's report. All in favor? Opposed? The clerk's report is approved. Do we have communications today from our city attorney? No, thank you. I didn't quite catch that, but I'm taking it as a no. All right, I'll, I'll take a nonverbal no. We now come to public comment general time. Public general time is an opportunity for members of the public to speak to council and the community about matters of municipal interest. To speak a public comment general time, one need not have signed up in advance. Speakers, both here and online, have three minutes in which to speak, so please pay close attention to the time. Our clerk will notify you when 30 seconds are remaining and when your time has expired. When your time has expired, either here or online, please conclude your remarks and cede the floor. Is there anyone in the house who would like to speak at public comment? If you need to raise your hand, just, uh, just come on up. Hello, everybody. Eric Lipson, Rosewood Street. I'm running for uh, mayor on this, an independent, as you probably know. And I want to actually say good job tonight for passing this uh, resolution regarding the SEU and the municipal power utility. I think that... Um, it's essential that we do something, and that I was very impressed by uh, Dr. Stoltz's uh, evaluation of this feasibility study, and I think that's exactly what we need to do. 
because we know that right now Detroit Edison's reliability is very low. We know that the rate payers are the ones who are getting the uh, benefit of the, whatever the excess rates are, and that's something which has been uh, for the other cities which have municipal power utilities, that excess money goes back into the system and not to ratepayers. So it makes a lot of sense to do that. Obviously, we do have to study this in, in more detail, and I, again, applaud you for doing that. But I should also point out one other thing about DTE's current policy regarding net metering for solar installations. Right now, as has been pointed out uh, by Mr. Teske and other people, uh, Detroit Edison will pay you wholesale for your electric that you generate while they charge you retail. And why this doesn't make any sense is because when the utility needs that electricity the most and they would be paying the most for those peak kilowatts in which they would generally be firing up gas-powered uh, generators as auxiliary generators, that's the time when solar installations are also generating the most power during those hot, sunny days. So the logic of allowing your solar installations to get retail back from the utility instead of wholesale makes so much sense for encouraging people to get solar and have it pay off uh, and not be a, a wasted investment for the homeowner. Um, and, and DTE, sadly, has repeatedly and consistently for years and years and years fought true net metering. So for that reason alone, if we're all concerned about zero, uh, getting to zero carbon, that is one reason to go with an MPU. Uh, a municipal public utility. So good job tonight, I appreciate that. I just want to say a couple of other things. You know, one of the people you never hear about very much, there's no drama, there's no scandal, and, and that's Jackie Beaudry. You know, she's a professional of the highest quality. You, they, her office does a great job. The elections run smoothly, uh, and we're lucky to have her as well. So thanks very much. Thank you. Just want to give these paperwork to all of you. That's all uh, I want to do here. Deliver to the clerk, please. Thank you. Is there anyone else in house who'd like to speak at public comment? Is there anyone online who'd like to speak at public comment? Mayor, we have a couple callers online. Caller with the phone number 534. Press star six to unmute your phone. Caller 534, go ahead. Thank you. Good evening. This is Tom Stolberg calling from Lower Town. I want to thank you for passing what you just passed with regard to the studies. Uh, definitely a lot of money to spend on studies. So always something to be concerned about. Uh, to watch closely. So I thank you for raising those concerns. I'm pretty excited about some of the things that we can do uh, in terms of local small grids. Uh, that could work really well for us to be able to 
collectively put in solar on multiple rooftops and share that in small grids. Uh, in terms of electric vehicle usage, it's good to know that that's increasing. Uh, personally, I've installed an electric vehicle charger. I'm a landlord. I'm making it free to my tenants to use. That's free, no charge to all my tenants to use. I think we can all make steps to move in the right direction towards meeting our E20 goals. There is something I'd like to raise though that works against meeting our E20 goals. As proposed, our current mass rezoning of hundreds of parcels to TC1, which makes no provision whatsoever for electrification, works in the opposite direction of meeting our E20 goals. If we build a substantial number of units without electrification, we dig a hole that we can't get out of. No matter how much money we raise in a millage, how many wonderful things we do, if we build lots of units without electrification, that deficit simply cannot be made up to meet our 820 goals, short of buying a bunch of offsets in 2029. We need to relook at how we are doing our planning and zoning if we're setting ourselves up for failure for our A20 goals. Tomorrow night, the Planning Commission, Robertson Brothers, is going to bring in a very large new development for a public hearing. They've recently changed their plans to have their for sale owner-occupied homes fully electric, but I don't believe they're including their for rent units and I'm not sure what the percentage of their unit makeup is. They've got, I don't know, five, 600 units that are going in over there. Uh, I'm not sure what the final plans are right now of how many are rental, non-electrified, versus ownership, electrified. We can't dig ourselves out of that hole. So there's a lot of issues we can talk about, about what we can regulate, what we can't regulate, but we certainly have a lot more power than people seconds. are claiming we do. I'm a developer. I've been in the business, in the real estate business for 30 years. There's stuff we can do right now that we're not doing. And the number one thing we cannot do is dig ourselves into a hole through our planning and zoning efforts that we cannot dig ourselves out of. And we will not meet our A20 goals if we keep doing what we are doing right now or what's being proposed right now. Thank you very much. Thank you. Luis Vasquez, do you have a comment? Uh, yes, I do. Thank you. Um, Luis Vasquez, I live in the first ward. Um, I wanted to express uh, appreciation for uh, voting uh, affirmatively on DC1 tonight um, and also express my uh, disappointment and uh, my first ward council member, Mr. Hainer, for voting against that resolution, uh, I think the public deserves to know uh, whether or not uh, an SCU or a municipalized uh, energy utility is the right way to go. Um, I, I think we need to know the answers to that. Uh, and, and other residents of other wards, including and including what one have been clamoring for uh, understanding uh, what goes into 
um, generating our own energy in the city. Um, also, I just wanted to remind people that there's still a pandemic going on um, with transmission of COVID-19 still occurring, including in Washtenaw County. So all those speakers who spoke tonight in front of council without wearing a mask, uh, please, guys, mask up. It doesn't take very much to do that. And not speaking without a mask um, really uh, is off-putting to me. And uh, I think you need, you owe it to um, the other people in the audience and our council members to uh, not spread disease, please. Thank you. Have a good night, everybody. Thank you. Michelle Hughes, do you have a comment? Yeah, on the, on the topic of those uh, the masks, um, I, I definitely remember in recent city council meetings that speakers were asked to wear masks um, and were told to, you know, fix the masks if they fell off their face or whatever. And I don't remember hearing an announcement about that the city council meetings were now an unmasked area. And it seems to me like it's really important that um, masking be enforced because that's the only way to ensure that it's a, uh, that that the city council meetings are a safe and accessible space for people. Um, if you leave it up to people to put on masks, then you're telling them that it's okay for you. It's okay. It's okay with you if people endanger their fellow Ann Arbor residents and you're allowing them to put other people in danger. And that makes it, that makes the city council chambers an inaccessible space that people can't go to. And it's good that you guys are providing, you know, alternatives like the Zoom and the phone call, um, but coming in person should still be a, an option for people and people shouldn't have to risk getting uh, permanently disabled or killed by the pandemic that's still going on in order to speak to the, to the council and participate in the government. So, you know, if, if it's legally possible for you guys to require masks, please go back to the policy of requiring masks. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor, I don't have any other callers on the line with their hands up. Seeing no one, public comment is closed. Are there communications from council? Councilmember Hayner. Yeah, th thanks, Mr. Mayor. I, uh, I think it's a kind of indication of the incredible privilege that exists in our community when people complain when they get exactly what they want. And sometimes people ask me, why'd you vote against this or why'd you vote against that? Well, it's evident that we're going to support that study. It's clear from the conversation at the table. So a vote against that is a vote for the one eleventh of the people that I represent in our community, one eleventh of the population who if they knew what was happening here in the chambers on many issues, not just this, and really not really this one hardly at all, 
they would say, no, please don't vote for that. Please don't support that. I hear it all the time. I'm glad you didn't support that. So, you know, something passes. It's going on without my vote. So a, a no vote in many instances is a vote for the representation of people who don't even know what's happening here in the chambers, uh, you know, until their taxes go up. I. I got to tell you, I think it's grossly inappropriate for people to be shilling for a millage or any ballot question here at the table, and it's really a violation of the the uh, the ethics that are recommended by the Michigan Municipal League, among other organizations. If we decarbonized our community tomorrow, the carbon inputs that are already in our system are going to take a decade to flow forward, and there's nothing we can do about that. And so I think it's wholly appropriate that we make these decarbonization efforts personally and as a community. But we have to understand that writing a check is going to make you feel better about what you did, or you can tell your grandkids, hey, I tried to do something or whatever. It's too late for all that. And so I, I with the A20 plan, I supported it uh, mostly for the resilience needs that we're going to have as a community. Councilmember? So I just wanted to share that. Councilmember Griswold. Um, I want to thank everyone who's been using the A2 Fix-It system. It seems to be gaining in popularity almost every day, uh, <laughs> which uh, from a staff perspective, that's probably not a good thing. But uh, if we're fixing more of our streetlights, and we are, then, then that's positive. And I know that a lot of negative things were said about DTE today, but I just want to thank DTE for responding to some of our streetlight outages in a very timely manner, to the point where last week DTE did troubleshooting uh, almost immediately and found out that the lights were actually city lights, not DTE lights, but they told us what needed to be done. So they sort of went above and beyond. Uh, so thank you for that. Uh, I ran into a police officer today and she had nothing but positive things to say about our new interim police chief. Uh, so I think that a lot of things are going very well in this community. And of course, we can't lose sight the fact that there are always opportunities to do better. And we have a city administrator and a city attorney that I think are going to be able to take us down that path to, to take us to a new level of customer service and hopefully uh, get this Gelman plume under control. So thank you. Further communication from council. I'll just say uh, super briefly with respect to uh, to masking, this was my error. Uh, there is, of course, continues to be the, the, the policy here at the table. Uh, at some point, uh, I observed that it was not being uh, uh, not being followed by a couple of members in the audience. But by that time, the meeting had already been fairly well underway. And uh, I felt as a matter of consist within the meeting consistency that uh, we'd have it the way it was and that I'd be uh, a born again rule follower next time. Um, whether that was an error or not, uh, who can say? But that's uh, that is what happened. It was my mistake, and we'll uh, we'll move forward. So long as that's the policy, I'll be more mindful of it. Uh, further communication from council. 
May I have a motion to adjourn, please. Move by Councilmember Briggs, second by Councilmember Adina. Discussion? All in favor? Opposed? We are adjourned.